0: So Deuteronomy chapter eight, we're gonna rummage around in two chapters this morning, chapter eight and chapter nine. I wanna ask you to bear with me as we as we do this and consider these things. Usually on a Sunday morning I like to take a small amount of verses. I'm going to take a bigger chunk today. So if you'll just read along. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Moses still speaking to the people says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way in which the Lord has, your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which your which you did not know nor your fathers nor did they know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains of springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, then all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. And in the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power. The strength of my hand made me this wealth, that you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who has given you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about that if you ever forget the Lord your God, then go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations before you that the Lord makes perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly just as the Lord has spoken to you. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Father, Spirit, would you bless the teaching of your word this morning? Give us understanding. Father, May your word simply be alive to us. Father, put us in our place that we may rest comfortably there and safely there and securely there under the shadow of your wing. Father, may we not think more of ourselves than we ought. May we, we, Lord, constantly be thinking more highly of you, looking to you, amazed by you, wondering at you. Father, I pray that if we have any source or sense of pride, that you would remove it. And I know what I'm praying, Lord. Because I realize the moment we begin to pray that you take away our pride, we stumble and we fall flat on our faces and things happen where we realize we are not as strong as we think we are. But this is my prayer for myself, Lord. For each of us that you bring into our hearts humility. And this morning, that you would teach us to understand why. Again, bless this study, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to continue a conversation we began last week as though we never left here. By the time I'm done this morning, you may feel that way. But you may recall Moses is relating to the people, but as he begins to relate the law, which he started to relate the law back in chapter 5, but we have yet to really get to the law. We heard the Ten Commandments, but the rest of the law hasn't been reached quite yet. He continues to give warning after warning. Moses loves this people. I'm amazed. He keeps going back. He repeats himself. He keeps saying, I mean, he is doing everything he can. You get the sense of of a father sending his son off to college for the first time. And saying to the son, look, there are going to be all kinds of things out there, problems and temptations. Just just remember how we raised you. Remember what we taught you. Remember all these things. This is Moses. He's looking at the people and, and he's worried. He is. He's concerned and he has a right to be concerned. He says, remember, verse 7 of chapter 9, Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you've been rebellious. That's what you are, Israel. You're a rebellious people. But Moses loves this little rebellious people. And so he keeps saying to them, Beware. Take care. Don't forget. Cling to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 12, he says, watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And from among these chapters there are two immediate concerns that, that rise up. One of them we talked about last week. The presumption of prosperity. Don't get to that place in your life where you are so comfortable and so prosperous that you don't need the Lord anymore. That you forget about the Lord. He warns Israel not to be forgetful of the very source of their prosperity, of their blessing. Psalm 81 verse 10 tells us, Open your mouth wide, the Lord says, and I will fill it. And Jesus said in Matthew 7.11, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? James 1.17, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. We talked about last week, God is a giver. He's a giver. And He wants to bless His children. However, we become presumptuous with our prosperity. We get to that place where we start to think we actually have something to do with it. And that's a danger. And Moses warns the people. But the second warning piggybacks on this presumption. In fact, it goes hand to hand with the threat of material things in our lives. Look back at verse 8, or at verse 10 of chapter 8. Moses says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God in the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. By the way, that's another point of the commandments for the people of Israel. It wasn't to obtain some kind of righteousness. It was to help them remember the Lord. For every commandment that was kept was a reminder that God was their God. And what the Lord had done for them... It's interesting to me, though, he says, when you have eaten, and you might just note this, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord. We kind of do it backwards, don't we, in our culture? We pray first, and then we eat. I think maybe it would be a good idea to switch that around. Have dinner first, and then pray. And depending on what you've eaten, you may need to pray after you've done that. But switch it around. He says, after you've had the blessing, then then. Turn around and remember the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thank the Lord for what he's done. And Moses says, when things are going well, be careful that you do not forget. Last week was the issue of prosperity. This week is the issue of pride, the peril of pride. Down in verse 14, he says, if you forget, he says, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God. He brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And history tells us that's exactly what happened they became prosperous and proud and forgot the Lord three times in chapter 8 Moses uses the word humble it's the Hebrew word anah which means to bow down Humble yourselves, bow down, he says it three times, and then we get to verse 14 and suddenly we have a stark, glaring contrast. He goes to the other option, he says, don't be proud. And that word proud is ruum, R-U-W-M, Ruam, and it literally means to be lofty or exalted, which is exactly Satan's problem. He wanted to be lofty and exalted, proud to lift himself up. And that's when life gets dangerous, when we become lofty and exalted. It's been said that pride is the only disease known to mankind that makes everybody sick, except for the one who has it. I like that. Now... Before we say anything else about pride, we all know that nobody here has a problem with it. Just get that out of the way. In fact, as a people, we're about the most humble church in the region. (laughs) But as I've thought this through, listen, I have begun to realize how truly sinister pride is. And how the most seemingly humble person can throw out their pride in, in subtle ways. Last week while I was spending four hours in prayer with the Lord I considered you and prayed for you. Lord love you. <laughs> and you scant two minutes that you prayed. I just want you to know I was... You know, I mean, we do this kind of thing and we don't... And we're just trying to bear up our spirituality, but it's pride. And it's a subtle thing and it's a dangerous thing. I want to give you three things to consider out of these two chapters this morning related to pride. And the first one is very simply this. These may seem simple, but listen closely. God's gracious gifts, number one, are received. God's gracious gifts are received, not achieved. God's gracious gifts are received, not achieved. And most of us would agree with that. No problem there. They're received. They're not achieved. He gives them to us. In fact, the very definition of God's grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It is 100% God-given. It is a given thing, and we are a gifted people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. God is the gift giver. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul begins to talk about some of these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, it's a famous chapter, especially if you're interested in studying and understanding the spiritual gifts. as he talks about those, he gets down to verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12, and he says the following. He says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. As he wills. In other words, the receiving of spiritual gifts is up to the Holy Spirit. It's up to him to give, his choice, his determination, who gets what and how the gifts are given. And it's so simple, and yet it's so powerful in completely undermining any sense of human pride. There is no pride in my giftedness, because that's exactly what it is, giftedness. You realize how subtle it is that we even talk about gifted children, Or in school, in classes, if there's a gifted education program, those are the better kids. No. Those are kids who have certain gifts. Gifts that were given. They're not better. They just have something different, something unique. Gifting in and of itself absolutely implies a gifter and has nothing to do with the greatness of the giftee, which is us. Now I want you to understand this a little better. We have this annual custom of giving out birthday gifts. You were born. What did you have to do with that? Why do you get the? I keep looking at my kids and thinking they need to give us gifts every time they have a birthday. The parents should get the gifts because we're the ones who've done the work. Especially Cheryl. I was there, I know. Wasn't easy why do they get gifts why do any of us get, think about this why do we get birthday gifts and then when we get the birthday gifts especially as kids it's hilarious kids will show them off as if it makes them better oh see what I got here See, I got the Nintendo DS. Oh, yeah, well, I got the Nintendo DS Lite. <laughs> Better than you. You know, it's, I got to tell you, Wednesday night, I, I threw out, I've been listening to this comedian, Brian Regan, who is absolutely hysterical. I can't do him. Okay? I tried to Wednesday night and went, you know, like that. But he does say, it is amazing how people will listen to you talk about yourself and they'll go, they'll go, See, okay You, me You, me, me You, me, me See the difference? See the difference? Well, I do now <laughs> What is it about ourselves Where we have to be here I've got to put you down So I can be up here And we base it on things That have nothing to do with us Looks well, She's better looking Big deal What you have to do with it? Nothing She was born that way Now there's a lot of work that can go into those things, but I don't completely understand that. Gang, we don't give you presents on your birthday because you are great. We just do it to be generous. God gives us gifts in the same way. There's a study out recently that people my age, when they were kids, averaged 17 toys. What's about the average of people my age when I was a kid? Kids today, the average is 243. Yeah, yeah. Parents go home, open the closet. Where does this stuff come from? And every Christmas it gets bigger and bigger. And you can say kids today are certainly more gifted. They have more opportunity, more things, more stuff. They are more gifted. But are they better? Are they healthier? Are kids today happier? Are they smarter? What do the gifts do? Listen, whether we're talking about personal blessings or talents or abilities, or even the spiritual gifts, and please don't miss this, even relating to the spiritual gifts, these gifts have nothing to do with you. If you have some amazing spiritual gift, it doesn't make you better than somebody who doesn't. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. Go back. I just love this. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you. I showed this on Wednesday night. You know what Moses is saying? God loves you because he loves you. That's why he loves you. It's that simple. He doesn't love you because you're bigger or better or faster or stronger. He loves you because He loves you and because He kept the oath which He swore. He is a loving God. He is a faithful God. That's why He gives. It's just who He is. God the giver. Now you might be a very good steward of the gift. You may have some kind of spiritual gift the Lord has given you and you, and you work at that and you've you crafted it and you pray it all over and, and you're good at that because you, you've been a good steward. You may have studied well in school, you may have rolled up your sleeves in the workplace, but the blessing always originates with the Lord. Always. That's where it comes from. Tiger Woods is having a pretty good year again after a, a long stint. And Jack Nicholas recently called him absolutely the most fundamentally sound golfer that I've seen at almost any age. This kid is absolutely the most creative shot maker that I've seen at any age. Now, this is from Jack Nicholas, the great golfer. And he's talking about Tiger Woods, this amazing gift that Tiger Woods has. He's a good steward of the gift, but the ability originated somewhere else. It didn't originate with Tiger, it originated from the Lord. Now what are we going to do with these gifts when they're given? That's up to us. How we steward them is up to us. But our abilities, talents, and again, especially our spiritual gifts, are given. And any other thought about spiritual gifts, gang, is prideful and nothing else. It's dangerous, gang, in the Christian community to equate spiritual gifts with personal righteousness. I have seen many people who are incredibly gifted especially with the real obvious manifest gifts of the Holy Spirit but they live most of the rest of their life in the flesh there's not an equation there in fact let me give you some proof of this turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 1 Corinthians chapter 1 over in the new testament page 1156 in my Bible, (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, let's follow along, Paul's writing to this church in this primarily Greek city of Corinth and he, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech in all knowledge even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ so far we have a gifted church we have a church waiting for the return of Jesus it's looking good God is faithful, Paul says. Verse 9. Through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright. And he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. What? What? How can that be? I thought this was a gifted church. This was possibly, gang, at least from the New Testament record, one of the most gifted churches. The things that Paul said to the church at Corinth are amazing, talking about all of the spiritual gifts that are at work there. This was a gifted church, and yet of all the books written in the New Testament, all the letters of Paul, this one is the most brutal because this one deals with a very divisive church a very messed up church a church that was having all kinds of problems and you would say but it doesn't make sense they're so gifted the gifts don't equate to the righteousness the gifts are simply given by God to do His work we take the gifts and we're the ones that either we use them with humility or we use them in the flesh with pride and we mess them up the gifts are given Why do we place so much emphasis, by the way, on the manifest gifts of the Spirit, the visible or audible gifts of the Spirit? It's interesting to me. Churches in the Christian community are very big on those gifts that are pronounced and obvious. Gifts of teaching. Someone who can stand up front and teach the Word. You see him and he's up there and, and Sunday in and Sunday out, here's Pastor Rick teaching the Word. It's a big obvious one. It's an important one. And it is important, by the way, not because of me, but because of the word which needs to be taught. Speaking in tongues. Churches will go round and round and round about the audible speaking in tongues. And many churches will lay that as the line of fellowship. If you can't speak in tongues, you're not even a Christian. And that is pride, and it is wrong. It is not biblical. Healing. We want to see the gifts of healing. These things that are manifest. And what I mean by that is they're easily seen. We place such a high premium on them. But listen to these gifts. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Paul says, For through the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think... So as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Paul says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation or he who gives with all liberality he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness have you ever heard somebody say man, I had a power encounter with the Holy Spirit and now I can give have you heard that? I met the Holy Spirit last night, and He came upon me. He fell on me. I am now filled with the Spirit, and man, I can't stop writing checks. (laughs) It's my spiritual gift. According to Paul, it's one of the gifts. Man, I read, I ran headlong into the Holy Spirit just the other day, and I can't stop showing mercy. And we go, big deal. Hey, it's one of the gifts. Where do we get so out of sorts here? Okay, God's gracious gifts are received, not achieved. And whether you have the gift of teaching or the gift of helps, hey, they're both gifts. And they're both given by God. And they're given to those whom He sees fit to give them to. There, and There is no difference. They're all gifts. And they're all from the Lord. God's gracious gifts are received, not achieved. Take care that we not begin to emphasize our part in the gifts. They ain't about us. Now listen, this next point is a real key. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 9. A real key to spiritual maturity. And you need to catch this one because it's subtle. My salvation, if you're taking notes, my salvation, number two, is in fact a declaration. My salvation is a declaration. Watch this. Chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you're crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Great cities fortified to heaven. A, great, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakin, who you know of and whom you have heard it said, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? These were big people, by the way. No, verse 3 therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire and he will destroy them and he will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly just as the Lord has spoken to you do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess the land it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. Listen, listen. Take care that you never say, my position as a child of God, my place as, as a kid of the kingdom, my citizenship in heaven, even my very salvation, it's because God saw something in me. He saw something good. It was because of my potential. In me, the Lord looked at me and said, Boy, there's, there's something in that Rick crawford and, and, and I, can, I can use him. Alright, so I'm going to save him. Be careful. He didn't choose me because of my potential. Don't even say, I finally figured it out. Because we ain't figured out nothing. I love what Jesus says to Peter. I've used this verse many times because it's so reassuring to me. He says in Matthew 16, 17, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. Do you realize that your very decision for salvation came from the Lord? That He put that on your heart? That he invited you in. It wasn't you one day walking along, all of a sudden going,
1: "Huh, I need to be saved."
0: You yeah, know, the Lord, the Lord's good, and I'm a good guy. But I think I, I think I need to check into the whole Christian thing just to be saved. Tom and I were talking this morning. There is an attitude among people that says, "I don't, I can't believe in a God who would let a nice little old lady go to hell, a good person." well, gang, I have trouble believing in a God who would save someone because they're good enough. Does that make sense to you? Because none of us are. None of us are good enough. If there was an ounce of goodness in all of us, we could possibly take some credit for our salvation. But we cannot take credit for it. God says, when you're, or Moses says, when you're brought into the land, it's not for your righteousness. In fact, verse nine, 5 of chapter 9, he says, it's not for your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going in to possess their land. Why is it, Moses? It's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. My salvation, in part, game, is because of the wickedness of the enemy. What does that mean? Satan's the adversary. From the very beginning, his rebellion has been about his pride and his questioning the goodness of God. In fact, the very first sin with Adam and Eve in the garden—what did he do? He comes to eat. Genesis chapter three, the first four verses. He comes to Eve and says, "Why aren't you eating this apple?" Well, we're not supposed to eat that one because we'll die. You're not going to die. That's a good apple. God is withholding something from you. God is not giving you all of the goodness that you could be getting. He's playing games with you, Eve. You're not going to die if you eat that. And Satan, has bit by bit throughout all history, challenged the goodness, the whole goodness of God. It's what he does. He gets into our minds and thinks, that, and helps us to think or causes us to think that God is not the giver that he claims to be. That he's actually the withholder of better things. He has the better things for himself. He's just given us the piddly little things. Which completely contradicts scripture that says every good and perfect gift is from above. That the Father loves to give to his children. Later on, Satan's in the heavens. Job chapter 1. And he's talking with God. It tells us in Job 1.9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. God, your goodness, so called, Satan would say, is just a smokescreen to the reality. Satan has to challenge God's goodness. His cronies have always challenged God's goodness. Psalm 25.7 says, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way." But Satan counters that thought. He says, God's not really that good. It's just a smokescreen. So in our salvation God declares His goodness by saving a people who do not deserve to be saved God once and for all shuts the mouth of the enemy and proves that He is good He is good He says I'm going to use flawed and odd people like those at the bridge to reveal how really good I am And you know that feeling of being able to say, I don't know why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Because I'm not that good a person. But it's great to have the goodness of the Lord in me. To have the salvation of God. I really believe, gang, there is something bigger at play here than God simply saving you or me or someone else. There is something spiritual at work here that is very powerful. Listen to what Paul says. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will listen to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved did you hear it? the reason we were blessed and chosen from the foundation of the world Paul says it's to the praise of the glory of his grace It's to prove, to bear out that wonder once and for all that God is a gracious God, that God is a good God, and our salvation is a declaration of His goodness. The fact that I'm going to heaven shouts across eternity, God is good! And I'm going to be in heaven, wandering around, amazed, and I've said this before, some of you have heard me say this, we're going to get there and we're going to be absolutely marveling at who else is there. And they're going to be absolutely marveling at the fact that you're there. And we're just going to look at each other and go, God is good. God is good. Paul says to that church in Corinth, he says, Consider your calling, brother, that, brethren, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen have you ever been in any of those categories weak, foolish, debased have you ever been have you ever felt just dirty even in your sin I am not close to good enough for God to even consider you amen, hallelujah you're exactly the person he's looking for because in you all of his goodness can show forth. I love watching Spencer and I pick on Spencer all the time but I love watching him walk in here this morning I don't even know where he's sitting right now there he is and he doesn't even know that I love watching him because he's got this blue shirt on and it's got all the fruit of the spirit on it he's got the fruit of the spirit all over him on his t-shirt but in his life And I'm not going to make you do it, Spence, but I know I could have him stand up here and he would tell you exactly what I'm saying about the goodness. The goodness of God. I'm going to let you figure out if he's foolish or the base or whatever, you know, those things. (laughs) But Paul says, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Then I have to say because God is so good... Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you would save a wretch like me. God's gracious gifts are received. They're not achieved. My salvation is a declaration of His goodness. I hope this is undermining a little bit of pride this morning. That we see where all this goodness comes from. But the last thing may be the most subtle. Among these things regarding pride and the Christian, for it has to do with sacrificial giving. Last thing, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Beware again that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget... The Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. The easiest place to forget the Lord, the easiest place to become proud, as we talked about last week, is in our prosperity. Did you know that statistically people give more when they're in hard times financially than when they're doing well? That that's that's a proven statistic. People who have a lot and have quite a bit of comfort, less as far as uh, comparatively don't give as much as those who are struggling why? because when we're struggling we're just we're trying anything maybe if I put my last ten bucks in you know God will do something when we're struggling and in hard times we are more focused on the Lord pulling us out but when we're comfortable we get arrogant we pridefully believe that we have some personal claim to our possessions, our wealth, our money. And we all pray in the worst sort of way to perilous pride. First John 2.16, John says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Did you tithe today? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the prideful person. <laughs> I, I need to say this as delicately as possible, but do you realize that withholding your giving to the Father is the height of human pride? You want to prove pridefulness in a person? That's the place to prove it. That's the most obvious place. It's directly related to trusting ourselves rather than trusting the Father's provision. Now I've said this before. The bridge doesn't need your money. God's doing just fine. He's doing right by this fellowship. That's not the issue here. It's not that we hired some staff and it's budget crunch time. But the reality is, gang, that we are prideful in our wealth. We are prideful in our lack of trusting God in our giving. Withholding assumes that what you have is yours in the first place, and it's not. It assumes that you are the maker of your wealth, and you are not. Can we get that through our heads? The things we have, we did not earn or work for. They were given by the graciousness of God. And he could just as easily as he did with Job, take it away. Because it's his to give, and it's his to take. And Job said, hey, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In verse 18 of Deuteronomy 8, Moses says, You shall remember the Lord your God, it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day why all of a sudden are we talking about money listen the prideful prosperity assumes something else completely wrong and this is the subtle part this is what we so easily miss it assumes that sacrificial living listen it assumes that sacrificial living is sacrificial and it's not sacrificial living for the Lord is not sacrificial and the only way you can know that is to sacrifice That's when you find out that sacrifice is not sacrifice. What in the world do you mean? Ask the missionary living on a shoestring. Ask the Christian servant in the third world, how do you bear up under the burden? I've been getting these emails back and forth from a man named Harvin. Harvin Aloro and his wife Cleo, they live in the Philippines. And we've been going back and forth emailing. I'm trying to find out about the work that he's doing and the church planning that he's doing. We're talking about 6,000 churches that this one man has been involved in planning. You wouldn't hear about it on our news. You wouldn't hear about it among our churches. But in the Philippines and out in the East, massive, massive movements of Christianity are happening. And he's right in the middle of it. And I'm talking back and forth with him. And I, I am blown away by the graciousness. I'm blown away by when he talks about Yeah, if we get a few dollars here it goes out And the fact is And I know this because Brian and Ruth Who are a couple of missionaries we support Have talked to me about Harlan, or Harvin Most of what comes into him Goes out to these different churches And to his own church He is an incredibly generous guy And you should see a picture of his house It's hovel. You should see the church that they meet in The barn does its shame it's literally a hallway that's about the equivalent of this wing over here. 200 people. Squeezing in and out, having the many services they need. They're in a highly Muslim area, very, very dangerous. And by the way, he's involved with some, some really cool undercover work converting Muslims and turning them into pastors. So uh, I'm talking with our elders about supporting this guy. But I am impressed by him because his emails are laced with blessing. And I look at someone like Harvin, and my first thought is as a, as a fat, dumb American, my first thought is, I just don't know if I could live like that. But you talk to Harvin, and he's having a great time. He is, he is just blown away by God's goodness, his graciousness, his constant blessing and giving because sacrificial living is not sacrificial. Once you step into that, the sacrifice, gang, and this is the third thing, the sacrifice is not a burden, it's a blessing. In fact, sacrifice, in all truth, God gives us a great example of this, that sacrifice is celebration. What do you mean? Look at the Feasts of Israel we talked about just a year ago or so. Moses is going to bring them up again and talk about them in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. The Feasts of Israel all required sacrifice, but they all resulted in joy. And in celebration. Once a year, all the people of Israel were coming in, actually, it was three times a year, coming into Jerusalem for these massive festivals. And as they came in, it was sacrifice. They had to stop their jobs. They had to get an animal from the flock, bring it in. There were sacrifices involved. But oh, what a wonderful time they had! It was celebration. And that is the truth. I've had friends of mine from out of state hear about what's going on up here at the bridge and they said boy Rick you've sacrificed so much to serve and and I said yeah we're suffering for Jesus up here (laughs) Hell yes it's a hard work that we're engaged in (laughs) and you know what (laughs) I'm just going to be real honest the last three or four months of my life have been hard until this last week when God spun me around with all this and said Are you really having a hard time And I realized It's not a have to It is a get to It's a get to I get to do this don't tell anyone But my life is a blast I have so much fun I've gotten su- such incredible relationships And I know such amazing people And I get to be where I am It's a blessing to serve And every one of our elders by the way Would tell you the same thing It's a get to And it's hard I mean can I get an amen from our elders Is it easy? <laughs> is it hard? Amen It's tough. But it's a get-to. It's a blessing. Pride blinds us to the blessing of simply serving the Lord. It may not always add up on paper. It certainly doesn't look right in the eyes of the world, but Paul put it this way, and I'm almost done, so stick with me. Philippians 3.7, Paul said, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. for whom I, for whom I have suffered, the loss of oh, Someone's suffering here, I'll tell you. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them listen I count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The Greek word for rubbish, I just got to share with you there. Paul says, I count everything else in my life rubbish just so I get to serve Jesus. And the word is, it's a great word. If I have it here. You right Yeah. scuba Scoobalon. Write it down. High school students, use it when you start your first day of school. Scoobalon means literally dung. And that's the nicest word I can come up with to explain it to you. That's what Paul is saying. All other things are dung. Scubalon. (laughs) And I know some of you younger ones are going to be using that word. It's not a curse word, Mom. It's (laughs) Greek. Scubalon. It's all rubbish. It's all dung. It's all absolute waste. Paul says, everything I have, I would give up if I could just serve Christ. And that's what God taught me last week. That's what he taught me. Your life is not hard, Rick. Your life is blessed beyond compare. And we share that blessing, don't we? He is a good God. Tateman's call has a song out, an old song now, called This World, and the chorus says, This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. (laughs) I love that. This world has nothing for me. It's not everything, but nothing for me. What I want... I want Christ. What I want, I want the blessing of being with the Lord. And whatever it takes to be there, that's where I want to be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How can we miss that? How can we misunderstand it? There is no blessing in life that compares to the surpassing value of knowing and walking with Jesus and I'll tell you how we miss that truth it's pride it's nothing less than human pride take pride out of the way and the goodness of God will blow your mind I think the Lord would invite us this morning and Barb why don't you come on up and play a little bit here I believe the Lord would invite us to the position of Anah humbly humbly bowing down before him For it's only there that we can begin to know the place of blessing in Christ Jesus and that place of humility. Would you bow with me this morning? your forgiveness for our pride Lord I ask you forgiveness for my arrogance I pray that you would forgive us Lord of assuming that we own what we think we own of placing any trust in our strength Forgive us, Father. For when it all comes down, we truly are weak. And we're foolish. And we're base. And we're not all that we thought we were. Oh, Jesus. I pray that You would use our salvation to get right in the face of the enemy declaring the wonderful goodness and this morning we just join our hearts together and, and we sing out we speak that God is good and Lord I, I hope that there are enemies listening in today because we know you are a good good father The fact that we're gathered here is not a testimony of any decisions that we've made. Our cleverness, our smartness, our giftedness. Lord, it is all because you have drawn us here. And it's all because you have forgiven us. And you have made us clean, and you have given us your righteousness. And you have poured out grace and mercy and every spiritual blessing in the heavens on us. And so we declare your goodness. Father, I pray for this body. I have prayed much recently for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That has been the phrase in my heart and on my mind. Father, we're not going to get there as long as there's pride. And so forgive us of that. And wipe it away, Father. Wash it away from us. Lord, if that means that we have to stumble every now and then to be reminded... It means that we have to be a little embarrassed in our lives We have to be reminded Face to face with our own sin choices Then then let it be That we might remember As Moses said that we might not forget That you are the Lord who brought us into a good land You may this morning be praying and processing these things. You may be one of those who has said in the past that uh, you're a pretty good person. But you know in your heart you've lied. You've sinned. You've done things wrong. And the truth is that none of us can enter heaven by any of our works alone. If you want Jesus to save you. And as we pray, I, I invite you to pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I realize that for all the good in me there is enough bad that I can never be good enough. So I pray that you'll forgive me. And I confess your name, the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior this morning, casting all my hopes and my burdens on You, Lord, and trusting You today for the salvation of my soul. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus.